Welcome to church this morning. Um, again, so just a little, just so you guys are aware, uh, pretty cool morning. We have uh, Pastor Craig right now is preaching at Citizens Church, uh, one of the churches we help plant. And my brother and sister-in-law lead that church in Wally, and so he's uh, planting there. And these people on the stage are authorized to be here. It's okay. Don't anyone run and spear them off. Uh, they're good. Um, and we have Pastor Mike's preaching in Langley at City Collective, another church plant that we were able to help start. And Pastor Shanda and Emma Palmer, uh, they are in Toronto speaking right now as well. Uh, how cool is that? At like four different situations and churches, we get to be a part of that. Uh, if you're new to our church, that's pretty close to our heart. Uh, we love being a part of that. And, uh, and also this weekend, it was just a lot of fun to let you guys know. We had 48 people complete uh, our Set Free retreat this weekend, which was so, so good. Uh, a lot of fun. Um, if you're not sure what that is, maybe just ask someone at the Welcome Center or myself. It's just we do it a couple times a year where it's just a great opportunity uh, to deal with the issues of life that we all have. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, but we're going to jump into a series here called Plus One. My name is Daniel. Uh, if you're not sure who I am, if you're new to church, uh, relax. It's all good. Uh, if you're kind of getting a little bit anxious at this moment, uh, you can tuck your head between your knees if you need to. Breathe deeply. Put the mask on your own face before helping the person next to you. And in a couple minutes here, I lied to you right there. I'm sorry. I'll, I'm going to commit not to lie to you again. It's going to be more in a couple minutes. Uh, but we're going to land this plane. Uh, we were in a series called Plus One. Uh, Pastor Craig kicked it off last week, uh, and if you're from this church, you call this place home, you've probably heard of this before, but the whole concept is this, that we believe that the implications of the gospel of Jesus, that he came, he died, what we, and rose again, what we celebrate on Easter, uh, has responsibility, we don't just get to receive from that, but it also gives us responsibility to be a part of that. Um, and then when we look at our city, there's 500,000 plus people in the city of Surrey. You go to the Metro Vancouver area, it's, it's in the millions. And so there's a lot to be done. We believe that Jesus died, that no one should perish, that every single person that he died with his heart and his wanting to be for them to be rescued back into family, that their sin wouldn't determine that. Uh, but we also know if you went home this week, said, all right, my goal for this week is to get 250,000 of those people uh, saved, baptized, discipled, and ready for church next Sunday, that that's a pretty daunting task. And I think sometimes we look at the, the gravity of the situation and get helpless. The whole idea plus one is we know that you can't reach maybe 500,000, but you can reach one. That if all of us reach the two or three in our lives, we begin to reach the thousands in our city. That Jesus might not have called you to reach the 500,000, but I can guarantee you he's put at least one in your life that he is calling you to reach. And we just believe that found people find people. That that's just in our heart out of an overflow of gratefulness for what Jesus did for us, that there's someone in your life. And so we're talking about this as we prepare for Easter. This isn't a bait and switch. I'm coming out right out front. My goal today is to get someone in your mind who doesn't know Jesus that you're going to commit to inviting to church this Easter Sunday because we believe that the gospel of Jesus is so important and so radical and so incredible that it can change lives. And again, we hope that every Sunday's that, but the statistics would tell us that most people would be more open to coming to church on Easter than any other Sunday. Christmas Eve and Mother's Day are the other two where, like, people mostly because kids are like, fine, Mom, I'll come to church with you. Like, some of you are here because your mom invited you at Mother's Day. You're like, ain't that the truth? And now you're still here. Come on, it's all good. Um, but we're just going to say, hey, what would it look like if all of us as a body committed say, I can do my part? 
I can invite a plus one. And Pastor Craig kicked it off last week talking out of Luke chapter 13. And this idea, the bottom line was every one has a name and every one has a story. And everyone's story matters to God. So as followers of Jesus, it should matter to us. He talked about this idea of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons. That this is what God was, his heart is, and as followers of Jesus, that it would be walking in disobedience for us to be so thankful to gather in this place, but be unaware and unconcerned of the ones out there that live next to you, that sit next to you at work, that sit in your university classes, they're on the bus with you on the way to school, that ride public transit with you, that in the intrinsic to the heart of God is, yes, he loves the sheep, and he makes sure they're taken care of. But as he, the illustration was, as a sheep by itself, it has the opportunity to get stolen by another sheep, that in the terrain they were in, it could have been destroyed. And it could have come to death. And we understand the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So the, the heart of the church needs to be that, man, everyone has a story. And every story matters to God. So it matters to me. And so that's the why behind the series. That's why we're going to ask you to step into areas of where you're uncomfortable to invite someone to church. Because we're actually more concerned because of what Jesus has done for us, for what you're called to, than what you're comfortable with that Jesus calls us into areas that might be inconvenient because there's great significance on the other end of that inconvenient step or that anxiety or that stress. And we're going to talk a little bit about how this today. And so we're going to get into that. But Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 36, you can turn there if you want in your Bibles. It's also up on the Sky Bible uh, if you don't have one. It says this, that Jesus was around the area of Capernaum, um, a place where he did a lot of different miracles. <coughs> Excuse me. And he was uh, a nursery, 97. Gotcha. Uh, so he, he's going around. I got a little bit of things pop up. I'm going to read it. So be careful what you put up there. Um, but he's been walking around. And he's looking. And, and he, he sees these crowds of people, crowds that were walking, crowds that were gathering to him. And it says, it says, when he saw the vast crowds of people, Jesus' heart was deeply moved with compassion because they seemed weary and helpless like wandering sheep. Without a shepherd. We talked about that last week, the lost sheep. And if I'm honest with you, like my prayer is that when I see vast crowds and I see a lot of people that my, my heart would break for them like Jesus did. But the, the reality is sometimes uh, I just get uncomfortable. Like when I see the mass crowds of people that are buying into false religions or ideals or, or, or different things that are harmful for them that would be anti-God or church or they're just broken and hurt and lost. Um, sometimes it's just easier not to get in the dirt with them. It's just easier to stay clean myself. And so if you're here today and, and the crowd sometimes scare you, I want to let you know you're not alone in that. Uh, that Jesus, he understands where you're at and there's compassion and love for you, but he just loves you too much to let you there. So if you find yourself in a place this morning where that might be you, I want to let you know it's okay. But I don't believe it's okay if we just settle there that we're on a journey, that God is doing some things. And it goes on to say, it says, he turned to his disciples, those who had committed to following him, and said, the harvest is huge and ripe, but there are not enough harvesters to bring it all in. As you go, plead with the owner or pray to the owner of the harvest, that being God or Jesus, to thrust out uh, many more reapers to harvest the grain. As you go, pray. Uh, if you're taking notes today, you can write the title, Full Fields, Empty Jars. Full Fields, Empty Jars. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are.
God, we, uh, we just take a moment and just thank you uh, for your love for us. And God, I pray that that love would bring clarity to all these other areas of our life. God, that we would set our focus, the cornerstone of our life, the foundation piece that everything else revolves around. Those as those who claim to follow you, God, would you help us when we make other things the primary focus when it shouldn't be, as we're so prone to? But Holy Spirit, I ask for these next moments that we would be willing and open and available for you to rearrange our hearts, to rearrange our schedules, to rearrange our priorities, that they might look a little bit more like yours so that we might look a little bit more like you to the world around us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to just take a moment at this, this scripture because I think it, it, it clarifies some things for us that I see sometimes. I know I get confused, that I see sometimes in the church we get confused, but I think it's super helpful for us. Number one, I think it shows us a lot about Jesus. And the first thing is we see Jesus' heart for lost people. Like if you are ever wondering what Jesus thinks about your neighbor that like, just uh, like cusses all the time and doesn't even want anything to do with Jesus or, or worships another God or religion or their, or their gender identity or sexuality isn't what you would think. Or, or if you ever wondered what Jesus thought about the people on the other side of the political agenda, like, you, you know, maybe not so much above the border but below the border. Like, it, it's all of these, like, did you ever want, if you're ever curious what God's heart was, I love that Jesus just clarifies this. He sees a lot of lost, broken people, dirty in their sin, broken, some by choice, some by happenstance, and it just says that his heart was deeply moved with compassion. And I love this because he says to his disciples, hey, if you want to follow me, this is now your response. And we just see that this is the heart of God. This is great news because I was a lost person. And since being found, I tend to wander. And I get myself lost other times. And so we see that not only is this God's heart for lost people, this is God's heart for found people that are still getting lost. This is God's heart for people who says, hey, I love you as you are, but man, I love you too much to leave you there. So he's talking just to the crowds, and he's talking to the disciples saying, guys, my heart is for you, and I'm moved with compassion. I see a preferred future for you. And that moves me. Like Jesus isn't angry with our sin. He's broken by our sin. And I think as followers of Jesus, we need to understand that it's our call as a disciple, as those who wish to follow Jesus. We don't stand up and judge. That's his job, and it will be our job. One day, this side, the other side of eternity, once Jesus comes. But at this point, we're called to have compassion. Our hearts are called to break. We're not called to pick up a stone. We're called to pick up a towel and serve those around us and say, God, what would you do? And if you're struggling with that, you know where a great place to start is? Jesus, would you help me have a heart like yours? I think that's sometimes one of the most beautiful prayers, saying, God, I know I don't want what I should want. Would you help me want that? I think Jesus honors that prayer. We also see, as it goes in here, that we not only see how Jesus feels about lost sheep, but we see how he sees lost people. He understands that they were designed to follow. It's interesting that he uses this analogy that sheep on their own are super helpless. Like, they can't even cut their hair, they just get too fat, and then they fall in a hole, and they just die. Like, they allow bugs to crawl up in their nose and their brains, and like plant little, like little larvae, and they can't take the buzzing, so they just knock their head against a rock until they die. Like, have you ever walked up to a sheep and be like, oh no, and ran away? No, you're like, yeah, what's up? Because all the wolves you can do is like, bah. Like, that's it. Sheep need a shepherd. And Jesus, how he sees people, he understands that though they want to walk their own way, the deepest need of their heart is a shepherd. 
And so for us as followers of Jesus, we look around at culture today, you can choose to look at all the negatives around us. But I love what Jesus says. He says, hey guys, the harvest, it's so ready. Despite what CNN tells you, people are open to the gospel. Like I love it. Despite being in a post-Christian culture where some people say, man, it's so dark, can I tell you that people are so open for the gospel. More people are coming to Jesus today than ever before. They might not need a new description of Christianity. They might just need a new demonstration of Christianity. People that have the heart of God, that don't look at them as a project, but a person that's deeply moved for compassion. But university students, can I tell you, don't believe the hype that says, oh, it's this or that. You might have one conversation conversation with somebody like, yeah, I don't believe that because of this, this, this. Understand that there's brokenness behind that statement. And if we learn to love like Jesus loves, he'll allow us to walk with people and heal the brokenness in their heart. Never has there been a time where society is more hungry for community. Never has there been a time when people are more broken and ready for the truth and the reality and the goodness of the gospel to heal them. Church, don't believe what people tell. Like, Jesus saw the crowd. And in this situation, the disciples were looking at them, and they weren't good Jewish people. And he's like, oh, no, we got to run. He's like, no, what you're running from is the thing I've been waiting for. Like, the crowd, they're coming in. The harvest, it's so ready. And he's just saying, but guys, like, I need, I need followers that are willing not to run but to harvest. Not to run from these, but to get in the middle of the lives and the people and to rearrange your schedules to say, hey, there's an incredible opportunity. And I think it's important for us to be careful that we don't buy into what Facebook little ads tell us or what news tells us or what this, oh, we just got a high. No, last time I checked, the Bible says that the church will advance and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is an offensive statement. That is not a defensive statement. That Jesus isn't hiding somewhere just trying to gather like a mother hand, like, oh, Oh, just got to be protective from it. No, death couldn't hold him. And he rose back and the same spirit is in you. He's calling you to aggressively go out and harvest. It's not that we're naive of what is happening, that we, do ha- we are in a spiritual battle, but we need to understand that as we tuck behind Jesus, we walk in victory. I think sometimes maybe we just get out from Jesus trying to do our own thing. We're like, why am I not getting victory? You're a sheep, not a shepherd. Follow, don't lead. Say, God, what do you have for me? Lord, I want to walk in your victory. But we see that Jesus sees the harvest around us. Sometimes we see them as lost and rebellious, but Jesus sees them as loved and ready. As followers of Jesus, we're called to do the same. We also see that Jesus expect what he expects from those who desire to follow him. See, it's not enough to know that Jesus desperately wants to bring people home. Jesus expects us to do something about it. One of the things that frustrates me the most, but I love the most about Jesus, is that he refuses to remove the middleman. Like he just refuses to remove you and I in the narrative of rescuing his children back to himself. Like, I, and some like, God, you could have done this a whole lot better than us. Like, if you just would have done that, we could have wrapped this sucker up. We could have just been partying in heaven. That would have been fantastic. But God chooses to use us. And we have a job to do. Jesus doesn't even ask them to go. He just assumes that, of course, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going. It says, as you go, don't forget to also pray. And in this, I think I see a beautiful expectation of what Jesus expects of those who follow him. That we go. 
Like, what would it look like if you never had to pray and ask if God was wanting you to reach people? Like, if you never wasted another prayer saying, God, do you want me to share your love with people? Like, as you go, it's your calling. It's your birthright as a son and a daughter of Jesus to tell the most beautiful story of our Savior Jesus and what he's done. But I love this. He doesn't say just go and do it on your own. He says, as you go, pray. It's not one or the other. It's both and. And if you've been here before, you know our heart is, man, we pray first. And so, like, I think Jesus wrapped up in this. It's like, we pray, God, who do you want me to go to? And as we go, because we don't have to ask if we're supposed to go, we maybe ask how you want us to go or where you want us to go, but we know we're supposed to go. And so as we go, we just keep praying. We say, God, would you use me? Would you do something in this situation? We're called to go and pray, not one or the other, but both and. Yet this is where I think most of us with the right heart and the right motivations can get caught. Because I know most of us here today say, yeah, amen, Daniel, great. Tell me something I don't know. Like, yeah, I love Jesus. I know I'm supposed to love people, and I do my best, and, and I know I'm supposed to do this. But the reality is, I know from my life, I don't always go. And so in this, we find this gap of expectation and experience. Of We know we're called to love our neighbors, but it's much more convenient to drive in the garage and just press that little button that's like, safety. Like, no more small talk. Like, I can just walk into my house. It's great. Give them a polite wave within my car with the windows up, with the music on loud. And I can just make my way through and just, oh, I'm very polite. I take my garbage cans in and out on time. I never leave them out. I'm a polite neighbor. I trim my hedges. I'm not too loud. And, like, it's just a whole lot more convenient not to go. But today I want to talk about maybe what it looks like to go and how we are to go. Because I think there's some very uh, real responses in our hearts, that there's some very real barriers or hurdles that we need to cross if we're supposed to go. Because I just refuse to believe that the church in general just has hard hearts and they don't want to go to people. I don't believe that. I think people desperately want to be used by God, that God's done incredible things in hearts. And, but the reality is there's weights, there's uh, agendas of other people that pull for our time and our priorities all of the time. And I want to look at one scripture today that maybe illustrates that in 2 Kings Chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. I'll read it. We're just going to look at a couple different pieces here. It says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elijah, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. This would have been that she had a husband, and in that culture, her husband died, and they weren't off financially or probably borrowing a lot of money, and they'd sold off everything at this point. And now they're in a situation where their sons might actually get bought into slavery to pay for their debt. So Elijah said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? She said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. So then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself, your sons uh, behind yourself and your sons, and pour into these vessels. When one is full, set it aside. <clears throat> so she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she began to pour, they brought the vessels to her. And when the vessels were full, she said to her sons, bring another vessel. And she said to her son, oh, and he said to her, there's not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. So she came and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons, uh, and you and your sons can live 
on what's rest. It's kind of a pretty cool story, a miraculous story, what happened in the Old Testament, things going on. But I think there's a beautiful story in it for us. I think this is more than just a testament of what God can do for widowed moms in the Old Testament, in 2 Kings, if they know Elisha. Like, I think it's a whole lot more general and applicable to our lives. And as I begin to pray for plus one, and, and just be I was reading through this passage, and I begin to pray for our church, and begin to pray for my plus ones, and the people in my life, some who have come, who have yet to receive Jesus, some who haven't come yet, and I just begin, like, God began to tell me, and because, honestly, there was a bit of anxiety of asking again, and, and what do I do? And I just felt like God said, Daniel, if you'd be faithful to bring jars in, I'm faithful to fill them. And for us today, as we begin to think about our plus ones, I want to maybe submit that to you, that if we're faithful to bring in empty jars, who Jesus is, he's faithful to pour his love into those empty vessels. But again, there's things that can stop us. What stops us from going? Either I think sometimes we don't know we're supposed to. Maybe you just came to Jesus and you weren't really aware. I think sometimes that's not the case because what I've found most of the time is when people find Jesus, they, man, they can't stop telling other people about Jesus. And it's just something natural. Or we forget that we're supposed to and the demands of life compete for our attention and our efforts. We really want to, but every time we go, fear stops us. I think that would probably be the number one thing. Like people really want to, but they go and they're scared and they're not sure and there's uncertainties and, and, there's, and fear just begins to grip their heart and anxiety begins to come in and stops them. Or I think this could also be it. We actually just don't know what practically going looks like. Like we could worship, we love to worship, we love to pray, and like we walk up to that person and all we can think is like, come to church and get saved. And they're like, what? And you're like, nothing. And then you go back, shut the garage, and there's safety. Right? Like, let's be honest. Like, sometimes we can be super weird about the gospel. Like, we speak in languages. Like, hey, come be washed in the blood, brother. They're like, you can do what? No, thank you. Right? Like, we just, sometimes we just don't know. And like, to the goodness of God, maybe you, rose, you were raised in a Christian family and you just had Christian people around you all the time. And, and, and it's been a long time since you had someone close to you who knew nothing about the Bible. I was talking to someone the other day, just like, oh, in these translations, she's like, wait, there's more than one Bible? I was like, what? She goes, you just said like NIV and e. I didn't know there was more than one Bible. I was like, okay, let's explain this a little bit. Like, sometimes we just, we just don't know how. Like, we want to, but we're just kind of bad at it. Like, we can admit that. We're like, ah, fumble that ball, like, next play, right? Like, we just don't really know what to do. But I think in this story, it can show us some steps. But I want to look at maybe the, at the three things that normally stop us. Number one is, I think, this. This is, we think we have nothing to offer. Like, have you ever felt that? And we talk about this, and it's a stirring in your heart, but right away, the enemy just whispers those lies that your teacher told you one time in grade four that, man, you won't amount to nothing. You can't do You can't public speak. You can't do that. Or just these whispers that you don't have enough, that people wouldn't like you, that you don't know enough about the Bible to do that. Or, or, or the other whispers are like, oh, you're going to invite someone to church. You have this in your life. You have this. You hypocrite. You can't do that. You can't. Can I just silence that one? We're all hypocrites. Like we all know more than we obey. So, like, can we just say, hey, we're not going to say okay with that, but we're just going to all work forward in that. So just don't allow the enemy to rob you in your life saying, like, oh, you're a hypocrite. Be like, yeah, I am, but for the grace of God, and he's moving me forward. And so I'm going to keep taking steps. Like, there's, there's lies that can just stop us in our tracks. So we can look at the things that we don't have. And I love it says here, Elijah says, tell me, what have you in the house? She says, your servant has nothing. Right? Like, if you got parents... 
Or Katie can relate to this one as well. But babe, there's nothing in the fridge. She's <laughs> like, what do you mean? There's this, 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 this. Let me clarify, there's nothing ready for me to eat in this moment. <laughs> like, right? <laughs> like, it, it might not have been that. Some of you wives, you're like, it's for reals. Uh, but it's a situation. The kid's like, mom, there's nothing to do. Well, I, I can't. But, and it's almost like there's nothing. But there probably would have been nothing. But then the wife almost remembers, like, oh, but there's this, oh, well, I only have a jar of oil. And, and, and if you kind of read into it, it's almost like she didn't even have faith that he could use that to solve the problem. It's almost like she's saying, all I have to pay you if you can help me is this jar of oil. Like, I don't even think she had the faith that what she had could solve the problem. She was just like, ah, that's all I have. Would you just take it? Could you please help me? And this situation, I think uh, we're so like this a lot of the times. That far too often, fear will cause us to focus on the things that we don't have that would stop us from doing the things that Jesus has called us to do. Hey, invite your neighbor. Ah, I haven't had 64 dinners with him yet. We're not close enough. Like, hey, invite that person to work to church. Like, no, oh, Excel just shut down. I got to fix my computer. Like, we don't have all, like, we just, we're, I'm not, we're uncertain. I'm not sure what they'll say. Like, I, 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 I don't know. Like, and there's just fear. Like, I, I don't have time or I don't have the relationship or, or uh, I, I, maybe I can't drive them. They have a car that drives them to work, but they just couldn't drive to church on their own. Okay. But, like, we, we just come up with these things that we don't have, and, and we can focus on what we don't have so often. We do it all the time. If I had a different job that wasn't as hostile towards Christians. Daniel, you don't know my university. Like, they're really anti-Jesus. I don't, I don't have any unchurched people. And to be honest, I don't have time to get to know them. That takes a lot of effort, and I don't know how to do that. And I just, I'm more comfortable with it. Like, I don't, I don't have a plus one that doesn't know Jesus. I don't even know how it would start that conversation. Like, some of you walk, you're like, knock on the door, you see me, it's like, And then you're back safe at home. And they're like, what was that? Realtors are kinder than that. Like, you don't even know what's going on. Would you like to sell your home? No, thank you. Goodbye. Um, but it's like this situation where we just don't, we don't really know what to do. But I love Elijah's question because I think it so reflects the heart of God for us in kindness. He says, hey, what do you have? Do you know Jesus will never hold you accountable? for what you don't have, but he does ask you to be responsible with what he has given you. Like, I, I, I love this about God. When we see all the reasons why it couldn't work, Jesus says, well, I see the one reason why it could. Like, you might not know everyone at work, but that one person you do know, and it might be that person that keeps annoying you with their problems. You're like, God, take this thorn on my side. He's like, that's not a thorn, that's a sheep. Why don't you lead them to me? Like, like, you might not know all your neighbors, but what neighbor do you know? Like, you might not have a nice fancy house to have a bunch of people, have a bunch of friends, but you might live in a basement suite that has a table and two plates. And you can invite someone over to share a meal where you can get to know them and you can invest in them because we're called to intercede and pray for them. Like we talked about last week, we're called to invest life and relationship with them so that the only time they get a text from us isn't, hey, you coming to church? Question mark. And they can go back from the last three Easter's and that's the last three texts that they got from you was, do you want to come to church? Do you want to come to church? Do you want to come to church? No wonder they don't want to come to church. Like, you only want me to come to church. Like, I don't want to be a tick on your belt. I want to be a friend in your circle of community. Like, what do you have? 
What has God given you that he's just asking you to be bold and courageous enough to say, God, I don't have a lot, but I have this. I don't have a lot, but my kid plays soccer, and I know there's other parents that don't want to be there as much as me. Maybe there's a common ground to start, right? Like, I don't have a lot, but what do you have? The mother remembered that she does have one thing. She's accept a jar of oil. See, Jesus is wanting you to stop telling him all about the things that you don't have and start identifying what he has given you and be willing to give him the little that you do have. Because the bottom line for today is when we're faithful to bring, Jesus will be faithful to fill. Like when we're faithful to bring, it's like, God, I don't have a lot, but you can, what about this friendship? What about this neighbor? What about that brother? What about that person at the convenience store that I always freak in, that Starbucks that I'm there all the time? Like when you just begin to ask God to see all of the things and the people he's put in your life naturally, like if you go to the same Starbucks, it's probably for a reason. If you're a person of habit, it's probably because Jesus might want to use that not just to keep your life in order, but for the gospel to influence those that are in your habits that you walk through. Like the house that you bought, not a coincidence. The workplace you sit in, not a coincidence. The bus route, not a coincidence. The people in your university class, not a coincidence. Like that, like all these, not a coincidence. Think, what do you have? And secondly, we see that we just don't like to go. Like, can we be honest? You know what's easier than going? Staying. You know what's easier than going to the gym? Doritos on the couch. Like, you know what's easier than doing something I don't want to do? Sitting and doing something that I do want to do. Like, the reality is we just don't really want to go, but Elijah says, go outside. Take your boys, turn off the video games. Well, they didn't have it. They had nothing in the house. Sorry. And so borrow vessels from <coughs> all of your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. I love this, that the miracle rested on the obedience of the boys to go. Like, the supernatural provision rested on the boy's natural obedience. God, I can't heal people. That's his job, not yours. Your job, what you do have, pray. God, I don't know how to explain all these other this and that. Not your job. What's my job? I change people. Your job, bring people. Sometimes the supernatural things we just sit and pray for, God really wants to do, but it's rested and dependent on your going. Like sometimes the supernatural provision is dependent on the very natural obedience to what God has asked us to do. Again, you don't need to ask if you're called to go. It's in the Bible. Go into all the world, make disciples. Took care of that for you. Don't need to pray that ever again. You're supposed to go. Me, you, everyone, great. We know that. So our step of obedience is to, to go. Like imagine this for the boys for a second. Like they didn't get to sit around inside and just pray that someone else would bring the empty jars from outside, right? Emily, if we can grab that sort of illustration, that'd be great. Like, because I think sometimes, and again, it's not both. It's not one or the other. It's both and. Jesus didn't just say pray for the harvest; he said go for the harvest. But I think sometimes we can sit. And we can pray. Again, people like we sung about that I was lost, I was found, and God's come and fill us up. And we can sit there like this, like, God, bring in the harvest. God, bring in the harvest. Oh. And as silly as it is for me to keep pouring water on the stage, sometimes we pray for people to get saved, but we just don't want to go. And we keep praying, God, would you use me to pour out? But we just won't go get any empty vessels that need the water. 
God, send them. Plus one. Easter. Mother's Day. Jesus, use me. But we just sit there. We don't go because we don't like to go. Jesus doesn't say do one or the other. And sometimes all we do is go. And then when we go because we don't pray, we lose the heart of God. And we go with judgment. We go, you need to do this. 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 And it's like, oh, buddy, we're supposed to pray as we go. It's this both and. You see, but imagine this for the boys, what they would have been experiencing. Again, they were in a city. Their father had died. There would have been shame that they were in that much debt that their dad couldn't take care of anything. That they're in so much debt, they'd lost everything. And now Elijah's like, hey, get your boys to go and let all the neighbors know. Like, go get all, like, could you imagine? He's like, all right, he's sitting there going. And, and they would have, like, had to face rejection. We're like, hey, hey, uh, uh, do you have any jars? Please, like, and he could have said no. And he's like, no, uh, please. Like, I really don't want to be a slave. Could you? And he, and he says, oh, thanks. Thank you for the jar. And, but so often we don't go because we fear rejection, but we forget that what if there was acceptance? Like, so often we think about what if they don't come? What if they did? Some of you, that's just as terrifying. You're like, oh, my God, what if they did come? I didn't think about that. Oh, my goodness, I don't want to go now. What am I, what am I supposed to do? Like, what if they don't say yes to Jesus? What if they did? What if every one of your work meetings and lunches was now consumed with, how do I read my Bible? You're supposed to pray. How do I pray? What am I supposed to? Like, what if those were the the office conversations that happen? But rejection causes us to stop, and we get fearful. And and it wasn't just one. They had to go get a bunch. So they're like, all right, got to walk. Oh, this is a cul-de-sac over here. Like, hey, do you you got any jars? Can, Can I have a jar? And... You know, at that moment, he might have asked, like, why? Uh, we don't have any money. And the guy with the robe, he said we're supposed to get jars. And mom was pretty serious when she told us to go. So I'm not sure if you're going to get this back. But thank you. Like, right? Like, sometimes we're just so scared. That we're unaware, like, you're sitting in your office, and you're like an undercover Christian. They might know you're kind of religious, you don't party or swear or drink, but if you were to invite them, like, there's no hiding it. Everyone knows you're one of those churchgoers. Oh, well, that's why you don't come to Sunday morning things. Got it. Like, sometimes we're just afraid to be known. But these boys, they had to go out because they couldn't risk not being known. They had a need deep in their heart that they were about to be sold into slavery. (coughs) And they had to go to another door, like, hey, it's Joe and Jeff. Yeah, sorry about your fence. Again, didn't mean to. And then they might have asked, and then you know what? He might have asked, like, well, what's going on? Uh, okay, well, so my dad, he, he, he had a bad investment, and then it went bad, but then he died. And now we sold everything. Yeah, even the Camry, yeah, the one that went through your fence again. I'm so sorry about that. Uh, but, like, so we had to sell it all. We don't have anything. And my mom says, hey, there's this guy with this long robe and big beard that kind of cool things happen. And so he said, hey, can you help us? Like, what do you have? And we just had a little bit of olive oil. And so he said, hey, go get a bunch of jars. And so I think I'm supposed to take your jar, and I'm not sure what's happening next, but are you, like, Sometimes we're so afraid to go because we don't know how to explain what we're supposed to do. You know what you don't need to do? 
hey, do you want to come to church with me? And listen, I know you're a sinner, but you don't believe that. But, but Adam, and it was an imputed sin. But then the righteousness of Jesus, the first Adam, way better than the second one. But then there was the sin. And then we built the altar. And we got to remember. But then Jesus went, and he was like, but he was like human. He was God. And he went, and then, right? And he's like, YOLO, just kidding. And so you need to come because you need Jesus. Right? And we're like, nope. Hey, uh, what are you doing this Sunday? Hey, man, our church's got a great Easter thing. You got kids, man, their, their, their minds are going to be blown by the Easter thing. Would you, would you like to come to Easter? Hey, do you have a jar that I could borrow? Awesome, thank you. Like sometimes we're so fearful for what the conversation's going to be. You don't need to give them the whole biblical history in that moment and get them saved in that moment. We're just called to bring jars because we're faithful to bring. God is faithful to fill. we got to remember what our job is. Stop focusing on what you don't know, what you don't have. And then you got to, hey, do you, do you got any jars? Like, I just, thank you. And the, right, like sometimes yeah, that's all you got. Come to church, good thanks. And you walk away, you forgot to give them the invite. They don't know where to go. At least they know Easter's coming up. And you're just like, oh, like, all right. And we're in situations where we just begin to say, okay, God, I've done my part. And as I went, I was praying. I was very specific. Saying, God, would you do something in my heart? See, going's not easy because we get stopped by things. But you just got to remember what our job is. Don't allow fear as real as it is, hear me. I know it's real. I know the anxiety of outing yourself as a follower of Jesus in university. What everyone's going to say, am I now going to be the target of every discussion? That's terrifying. I, I know the fear of what if that neighbor says no and that I just bought this house and I'm not moving anytime soon. I don't think he is either. Now we're neighbors and I'm that weird person. Yeah, I know there's fear. You might have started following Jesus. You might start following Jesus today. And you're like, man, I just started this thing. I'm not, I'm not sure how to invite someone. I don't know all the things. All you need to do is, hey, do you want to come to church with me? And I love this. They went to neighbors, which meant they had some relationship because their culture was unlike ours. They would have known their neighbors. Again, this plus one isn't about you saving your neighborhood. It's about the one person that you do have relationship with. Like the people you're in proximity to, Monday to Friday, are not on accident. And God's asking you, would you be willing to go and pray to those that I've put in your life? The friends in your life that don't know me yet. Like, would you go? See, we tend not to go because we fear possibilities of awkwardness or rejection or saying something wrong and what happens if they didn't come. And anything great in your life that Jesus has for you will normally be on the other side of fear. So family, I want to ask you to be bold in these next couple weeks. Say, God, I'm willing to be bold. I'm willing to not allow this to stop me because my heart, it breaks for what breaks your heart. And lastly, I think sometimes we don't go because, if we're honest, we just don't remember what it was like to be empty. It's hard for us. Some of you grew up in church your whole life, and it can be so easy just to get caught up in all the benefits of Jesus, which there are, which are incredible. But we forget the brokenness of being empty. 
And we just remember that, man, when I came to Jesus, he was just so gracious, and he just filled me up, and he was there, and he loved me, and I got great community, and I'm not alone, and when I'm struggling, I know what's there, and man, I'm just full. And if you're like me, when you're full, it's comfortable. You nap <laughs> on the couch because you can't do much else because you're full. And it just feels good. Can I tell you what God put in you? It was meant to get through you, not just to stay with you. And I love this. If we look at this story, we see this comparison. I think we don't go when we forget what, we're at, what is at stake. You know how awkward it would have been for the boys? They realized, if I don't go, I'm enslaved. Like it wasn't convenience, it was life or death. They just begin to realize what was at stake, so they're willing to go and allow it to fill up. And, and they're willing to knock on that door, even the one that they broke the fence, saying, oh, God, I, I, I need you to do something here. And, and they were able to, to go. They just realized, like, I don't have any other options.